0: The cost of motoring is a massive issue at the moment, there's no question. The price of petrol goes up every time you go to the petrol station, Lucy Powell was quoted as saying. Well, this seems to be a global narrative. Back home, we hear that autofuel price is deregulated, that is, the oil marketing companies are free to decide on the price based on input costs and other parameters, but are the prices actually deregulated or is it case of politics governing economics? Here is the detailed conversation I had with energy expert Narendra Taneja. So the first question which comes to our mind is that on paper, and why I use a word on paper is, is that petroleum retail pricing has been deregulated. But what we see in reality is something very different. And today, as we talk, the Indian crude basket has again hit 80. So the scope for bringing down the retail prices again narrows down if the prices keep spiking. Is this not a situation where, you know, politics is overpowering economics as far as petroleum retail is concerned?
1: Well, Richard, I mean, as you rightly said that technically speaking or legally speaking, and... Uh, petroleum products, you know, uh, petrol and diesel are decontrolled and completely deregulated. If you remember the decision taken by the cabinet in July 2010, uh, the cabinet meeting was chaired by then Prime Minister, Dr. Manmohan Singh, the decision was taken to decontrol petrol and diesel both. And petrol was decontrolled immediately while the decision on uh, diesel was put on hold. And it was only the BJP government which took the decision in the second half of 2014 to decontrol diesel. So since then, uh, you know, uh, technically speaking, both petrol and diesel are deregulated and decisions are taken by these companies. Earlier, as you know, we used to have APM, uh, you know, regime and practically the ministry used to run everything, including up for the pricing. But since then, things changed. And uh, we also saw in between where, for instance, the decisions were being taken practically on daily basis uh, by a little small consortium led by Indian oil, where these people will meet uh, over phone or in person the night before, take a call, and 6 a.m. next morning, the new prize will be announced and actually put in place. And we saw that also. But at the same time, we know that uh, petrol and diesel, these are uh, political commodities, and an economy like ours, which was like a socialistic economy for decades before 1991, when things opened up, you know, it's it's a, it's a politically very sensitive commodity. Petrol and the same goes for diesel. Diesel actually more than even petrol. Now, given that reality is one thing to what you have on, on paper or what you have in terms of the official word, but the reality is that, you know, even if you have decontrolled, even if you are deregulated, as long as these companies, which are responsible for A, importing, B, refining, and making sure petrol and diesel, for that matter, even LPG, is uh, taken around the country and literally, in some cases, even to the door of the consumer. So as long as the, this job is being done by government companies and the people are aware, people know, political parties know, that these are government of India companies. The government may say it's decontrolled. The same Congress party which actually de- uh, you know brought in the decontrol, now the question the government in power. And the same can happen again if there is change of government. Because these are politically sensitive commodities. My sense is as long as these companies are government-owned, I'm referring, of course, to Indian oil, Bharat Petroleum, Hindustan Petroleum, If you look at, you know, for instance, the distribution of petrol, diesel, majority of petrol pumps across the country are owned, controlled, regulated by these companies. And people know that. So, therefore, if prices are going up, you know, they protest and they say, all right, why don't you do something? And the protest is basically delivered at the door of the government you know, completely ignoring what happened in July 2010, that these commodities were decontrolled, like petrol or, 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 for that matter, diesel in 2014. So the reality is that these are decontrolled. And to the very great extent, the whole exercise when you fix the price now happens, you know, uh, uh, under the domain of these companies. If you ask me this question, are these companies 100% free to, let's say, uh, determine the price of petrol as they want? these are as they want, uh, the answer is going to be probably no, because very difficult. Because these are, at the end of the day, companies owned by the government. And when you say the government, and there are people, they give the interpretation, these are owned by the people, by us, the consumers. Now, that's the kind of, these are the practical things. On, technically speaking, once you have decontrolled, the decisions should be taken by these companies. And basically, everything should be based only on one thing, that's the economics economics of buying crude oil, economics of processing crude oil, economics of distribution, economics of retail. Basically, economics should be deciding everything. But that said, at the same time, there are two sides of the, the coin. One is that the, uh, these companies, you know, are kind of controlled, decontrolled in terms of petrol, diesel prices. And at the same time, you see that when they face some a situation where they need the help of the government, The government, actually, we have seen the government come forward and extend that help because the government does want to be seen insensitive to the ordinary consumer's daily budget or the monthly budget or the household budget. The same goes for the economy, and that means, you know, when you're looking at the budget of, you know, industry units and so on and so forth. So I think it's a very complex situation. Uh, Is decontrol, is deregulated? If you ask me a counter question, are these a kind of control decontrol? Probably yes. Is it regulated, deregulated? Probably yes. So we see different shades depending on the time. In the present time, when we see that oil prices are where they are, at the same time, we see that when you look at the balance sheet of all these companies, like Indian Oil, let me just uh, give you an example. Indian Oil is $100 billion plus company, the largest enterprise controlled by the government of India. And when you look at the, the size turnover, it's $100 billion plus. But at the same time, when you look at the net profit, when you look at their balance sheet, when you look at, for instance, cash in hand, the picture is totally different. That It does look like a $100 billion company. And if you compare, it, let's say, with a $100 billion company in the US and Europe, or for that matter, even private sector companies in India. So therefore, there is excessive intervention I, uh, you know, by the consumers and the people who represent the consumers, that means the government, politicians, and all that. So it's not that easy. But I think in the given circumstances, the government tried to do it this level best these companies try to do their level best and at the same time make sure that you know you deliver to the uh, benefit to the extent possible because of this controlled regime in a way controlled decontrol regime that you put in this way has also served the economy i mean has served the economy in the sense the consumers economy the the, the you know uh, industrial economy uh, managed to control inflation so there are so many other things so it's like onion mean, there's so many You know layers and so many uh, dynamics
0: our numbers show that it's been uh, now uh, over 13 months that the prices have remained flat at the same level so would i be wrong in interpreting that the government is basically preparing itself for creating a buffer that with uh, when the elections are around the corner 2024 when they're knocking at our doors and there is a huge uh, spike even if the prices are brought down there's no loss to the oil
1: companies. I think there are different ways to look at it. If we look at it strictly in the business sense, then you reach to different conclusions. But when you look at it this way, that look at the same time, you know, for instance, these companies, we saw post-Ukraine war that India suddenly started, Indian refiners suddenly start bradding a lot of oil from Russia at discounted rates. And Russia was very willing to sell it to Indian refiners, both the public sector and the private sector. And Indian oil is actually among the top uh, importers of Russian crude oil. So uh, that has, of course, helped the situation. And uh, India came under heat from Western countries, you know, the country which have imported sanctions. Some of these countries, some of these people, they even said there should be sanctions against India. Why are you importing oil from Russia? So who was there to defend the decisions of Indian importers, Indian refiners? The government of India. They were the ones basically facing the heat, you know, absorbing it and dealing with these countries which basically wanted to impose sanctions against all countries which are importing Russian oil. So I think, you know, as he said, it's a politically very sensitive commodity. So it's very diff- very difficult to kind of say, all right, here is the Lakshman Reka, refiners, you can't cross this, government, you can't cross this, because these companies at the end of the day are owned by the government. So therefore, the economics is very, and even the regulation is very mixed, because there is a responsibility. At the end of the day, don't forget one thing, these companies were created, uh, you know, as you know, Indian oil and Bharat Petroleum and and, uh, Hindustan Petroleum, Bharat Petroleum used to be Shell, which was nationalized in the 70s. Uh, Hindustan Petroleum used to be Esso, which was again nationalized. And Indian uh, uh, Indian oil was created, was set up by Pandit Nehru and Pandit Malviya. So that's a kind of the background. So at the end of the day, when you nationalize, the intent was clear that your idea was basically not to make profit, but to help the consumers, help the economy. So I think this thinking, this mindset, both on the part of the government, irrespective of which political party is in power, and the consumer, that these are state-owned companies. These are there to serve me. These are not there to make only profit. And the, but the government makes sure they also make some profit because if they run into losses, heavy losses, then the government will have to come out with some kind of mechanism, call it you know bonds, call it whatever, in order to support them. So I think that right now my sense is that the government is, seems to be on the one hand making sure they don't actually slip into losses, and uh, because if they suffer losses, then again they will come to knock, come and start knocking the government door. At the same time, to make sure that the consumers are well served. And at the same time, the government is trying to keep the message that these commodities are decontrolled. And we are waiting for the the kind of time when these commodities will be absolutely decontrolled in the sense of the term, which is acceptable even in the most capitalist society. So we are not there yet.
0: So it's very interesting. But, you know, since you mentioned 2014, it was Advantage Oil which played in favor of this current government that time because oil prices were at the lowest and the government had a good advantage when they came to power also uh you know you could play with the oil pricing thing coming back to where we are today and as we talk the situation is similar to what uh the previous uh government was before 2014 you know last two years of theirs and the way the oil was play, uh, uh, playing so oil can be the bad boy or the villain of the piece here, as far as the political mandates are concerned, because the world bank is a lot influenced by how the retail prices play out. So my next question to you is that by doing this, by having this artificial control, are we not distorting the market? Private sector has also come in, but there's no level playing field then.
1: No? You see, the point is that how do we how do you look at the market? which is, for instance, of an economy, which is a developing economy, where the sector is, broadly speaking, dominated by state enterprises like Indian oil, Bharat Petroleum, Hindustan Petroleum, ONGC, and so forth. And and at the same time, consumer mindset is that, you know, I don't care about the price of oil in the international market. You have to give me within this limit, because beyond that, I'm not going to accept you. I'm going to turn against you. So given that kind of situation, And also given the fact that 86% of oil that we consume is imported, you know, uh, uh, so you're heavily dependent on that. And also the rupee is not a fully convertible currency. And you have to pay in dollars when you import, uh, you know, oil. So there are all these dynamics we have to keep in mind. So when we keep in that mind, you know, the point, for instance, you were referring to, there was a time not so long ago when the oil prices were down to even $20 per barrel. In Oklahoma, for four hours, the oil was actually, uh, the price was zero. So at that time, the government of India, of course, you know, they decided to uh, to raise the excise and to make sure that, you know, uh, the flow of oil is regulated in such a way that, you know, people don't start wasting oil. And in the process, of course, you start, uh, you know, compromising environment, ecology, and very fundamentals of the oil economy in the country and of these companies at the same time. So I think oil is such a commodity and oil is such a different universe that is very, very difficult for a country like India, which is energy deficit, oil deficit, heavily dependent on imports, going very fast, has such a huge population, and 70% people living in energy poverty, in the sense they have access to energy, but very limited to energy, and where per capita energy consumption is among the lowest in the world. So with all these kind of things, I think, you know, uh, any, it doesn't matter who is in power, whether, you know, Congress or BJP or communist or any government, you see the moment you move into the government cockpit and you have to take a call on these things. I think the call which Congress party took in when they were in power, probably BJP would have done the same. And what BJP government is doing now, if the Congress were in power, they probably would do the same. So because you have very, very limited, you know, space to maneuver. Uh, since you are dependent on so many things, you cannot afford these heavy companies like Indian Oil or Bharat Petroleum, Hindustan Petroleum, or ONGC, these companies, to slip into economic or financial coma. You just, the economy can't afford it. The government can't afford it. The consumer can't afford it. These are the kind of mechanisms you're in place where these are the companies that make sure that oil is available across the country. There are places in India right up in the mountains, high mountains, in some places, I have seen with my own eyes, you can't find sometimes drinking water but you find oil, you can buy oil, you can buy diesel, And uh, you can see LPG cylinder. So I think we have to keep that in mind. So uh, I think the challenges are very, very tough. The intent of the government, whether this government or the previous, the UPA government, very clear, they want reforms. They want market to play its role. They would like to probably withdraw from all this so that the market can handle everything. The governments are ready to actually hand over everything in terms of petroleum retail, uh, you know, refining everything to the market so that the market fundamentals can determine the price. I think as far as the political establishment is concerned, it's ready, the government is ready, rules are there, regulations are there, mechanisms are there, bodies are there. And the market is also ready. The question is, is the country ready? Is the market mature as far as the retail pricing are concerned? Are the consumers ready for that? My answer is that the government may be ready irrespective of who is in power, but I think the market is not ready. And the consumer is not ready, especially the ordinary consumer.
0: So that's a very interesting point. So uh, I know rightly so pointed out on the duty bit, the excise duty component, which when we just look at uh, from a layman's eye, we find that the tax components are the ones which are making the prices what they are at the retail end, so steep. Isn't it time that uh, there, there should be a flat uh, tax structure? Is it not the time now to bring or give a slab or a rate of to petroleum products under GST?
1: Well, interesting question. The ideal, of course, situation would be where you have a flat rate, easy to understand, absolutely transparent, and you bring petrol and diesel under the GST. And the the GST is already prepared for it. I mean, whatever the amendments needed in the constitution have been already carried out. So as far as the law is concerned, the country's law are you know are ready, and the country that way legally speaking prepared. But if we think that you know GST would basically end this debate that the, why the price of Delhi is different from price in Bengal, or why states are charging so much of money, why taxes in Rajasthan are higher than let's say state X or state Y. Do you think that debate would be over? No. And if you think that, you know, max tax that, for instance, the consumer would have to pay would be only 28%, no. Because when you look at the entire, the revenue model, whether of the central government or state governments, taxes, revenues from petroleum products play a very important role. Look at various states. You know, since we are a union of states, so we are a of the structure. But look at any state. There are three major sources of revenues for them. Uh, number one, of course, is property, stamp duty, etc. Number two is tobacco, alcohol. And number three is, of course, revenue that you get from taxes on petrol and diesel. You know, not necessarily in this order in every state, order may differ. But broadly speaking, these three are the main sources of revenue. Name one state, for instance, which is ready to compromise with that. So even if you bring it under, you know, the GST and say, all right, maximum tax is going to be 28%. Fine. And you are done with it. But then you will find various state governments are going to impose their own taxes. They may call them cess for this or cess for that. And the central government actually may do the same. You know, there's cess on this and cess on that. They may say for one year or two years, but it may continue. So my own sense is, even if you bring under the GST, is not really going to make any major difference. And as long as you know there are more people are brought under tax regime and the economy has expanded and the government has got, including the state government, they have access to more revenue from other areas. Unless that happens. And let's not forget one thing. Oil is internationally benchmarked. How come, for instance, state countries like Britain, let me give you an example of Britain, how come the per liter petrol price or diesel price in in Britain is higher than India. you know. And Britain, actually, they produce more oil than us because they've got companies like BP and others. They've got fields in different parts of the world. The reason is very simple, because their there, the, the, the revenue structure is also such that you can't really reform, modify, or change it uh, suddenly. You can't do that. And the story is the same in Germany. Story, Norway, which is one of the largest producers of oil in the world, Look at, for instance, the price of, uh, you know, diesel and petrol. They're much higher than India, much higher. They producer, exporter. The same goes for the majority of countries in, in OECD countries, including Australia. The reason is that, you know, world over, you see that the taxes on on petroleum products are higher. It has been like, a you may call it tradition or whatever, but in majority of places, that's what it is. Except in the U.S. where the taxes are slightly lower. But then uh, the economy is different and then they don't have state-owned companies and the various state governments also play a very important role there. But that said, I think in India, if we think that anytime soon, next year or two years or three years, we are to see any major or fundamental change in terms of the tax structure, whether of the central government or the state government or even you bring it under GST, I don't think as far as the consumer is concerned, consumer will have to pay more or less the same amount of money per liter when they go and buy petrol I don't see that any big change they happening happening uh, anytime soon So basically to
0: continue to go create a hole in the consumer pockets
1: it does create a hole no doubt about it i mean whether it's tomato or mist, anything that is expensive it creates a hole because we are majority of people are their revenue them monthly income is very limited but i think the only only two ways is to kind of uh, move forward One is you expand the economy as fast as possible, you know, and bring more people in the tax. I mean, make them, you help them so that they actually want to pay tax. They can pay tax easily and they know the benefits of paying taxes. Number two is, of course, you know, transition that you go for other sources of energy as fast as possible. And the question is that how would that happen? You need trillions of dollars for that. Where is that money going to come from? Should we ask the very same company like Indian Oil, ONGC, Bharat Petroleum to basically to lead this uh, transition? So far, you know, that's not done. Seem to be the mandate. But my sense is the only companies which basically will can can have the potential to bring in the kind of transition we want are these very same companies, these fossil fuel companies and coal India-like companies. They need to be basically you know uh, uh, encouraged to transform themselves and to lead the transition. Because they have the capital, they have the experience, they have the reach, they understand the consumer, and they understand the geography of the country. Uh, So far, it's happening, but I don't think it's happening in any significant way. But my sense is that unless and until that happens, we will continue to see that debate that, you know, uh, uh, what's the price of energy? Today, we are talking petrol, diesel. Tomorrow, maybe 20 years down the line, we will be talking the price of electricity. It's not going to be cheap. So I think energy, as far as energy is concerned, going to remain a politically very sensitive area for a long time to come.
0: So basically the consumer will, as uh, I recollect, uh, one of the former uh, petroleum ministers used to say, it should be equitable distribution of burden. So government, oil companies, and the consumers. So the consumers will have to shoulder the burden for some time now.
1: I think you know I will put it di- different different way. Make the cars, automobiles, more fuel efficient. You know, make the transport system and entire system more more fuel efficient. So you may be paying a little more money per liter for petrol, but then you actually can cover uh, you know bigger distance with the same amount of petrol. So I think that has to be the focus. And at the same time, invest more in public infrastructure so you don't need to take your car out. You can use public transport. You see, so and at the same time, you know, uh, go for uh, distributed solar power. Wherever possible, for instance, you don't use petrol, don't use diesel, let's say in the agriculture, you use only distributed solar. You have nothing to do with the grid. You produce your own power for your own consumption. So you're a producer and you are also the consumer. And basically you work out your own economics. So distributed model for solar, distributed model for renewables. So we have to aggressively move in that direction. There is no one silver bullet which can work as an alternative to oil and gas, because we are a fossil fuel economy. Let's face it. Let's accept it. And, and we have to basically, when we talk about transition, we are talking about transition from fossil fuel to renewables. If we completely ignore fossil fuel or demonize fossil fuel and say, all right, now everything is about renewable. I don't think that's a very smart thing. We have to look at both We have to be grateful to Fossil Fuels for building the civilization that we all enjoy today. It's thanks to Fossil Fuels, I'm able to talk with you, you're able to talk with me. I mean, my computer is made from something that comes from oil. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, and we all know in telecom also the use of plastic, use of other things. So I think we have to look at things more holistically. Right now, the whole narrative that oil is dirty, renewal is heaven, renewal is angel, and do everything for renewable. This kind of thing is, I find uh, this narrative is excessively political. And for a country like India, we have to be careful because we need both. That will basically, once we do that, go for this holistic approach, which is customized for India, customized for Indian consumer. That will produce a solution, which the either government, the companies and the consumers, everyone is going to find very attractive. It has to be an Indian solution Customized for India with uniquely Indian characteristics. Right now, situation is not that. So we have to find a solution, forward-looking, and which is absolutely Indian in terms of its characteristics because it's customized for the Indian situation. Sir,
0: thank you so much, sir, for thank a, uh, putting to rest some of our queries.